Violence per se has never been my bag, except personally. But in pictures, as and I would like to uh, try to at least portray it on screen as it is. I've failed, and I've succeeded. And, uh, but all those pictures you talk about basically are morality plays. I've broken a lot of fences and noses. I just do the uh, best kind of a job I know how. And, uh, but there are certain people who are filmmakers, and there are certain people who are not. That's all. St. Helens near the shores of the mighty Columbia River. I am Eric, normally of Blood and Popcorn, but today I am guesting, I guess you would call it, along with the folks from The Good, The Pod, and The Ugly. Here we are with me and Ken. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm Ken, and we are here with Andy. Hi, I'm Andy. Our normal guests, Thomas and Jack, are busy working on our Christmas ed. Jason episode. Would we call them normal? Uh, but this is the first. Uh, but this is the first episode that's uh, coming uh, in 2023. So happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year! Uh, we are doing Streets of Fire this week. We have a very special. Ep- they're all special. Uh, we are only talking about one movie, and it's The River Wild. Um, Eric, why are we only talking about one movie this week? Remind me. I'm actually not. Much, I'm not sure. Uh, it's your it's your streets of fire it's your streets of fire uh, uh, series of podcasts focusing on the films of With, Meryl Streep. And uh, this week we are talking about the River Wild, which was partially filmed in the hometown of Eric and I of Grants Pass, Oregon, along the beautiful Wild and Scenic Rogue River. Um, and um, Eric. I wanted you very early to be on this episode because you grew up there. Yep. Uh, we had um, another guest, a friend of mine from the 90s who worked on the set, and she was unfortunately unable to be on this episode. Boo. Uh, but the upshot of that she is she still lives in Grants Pass, so that means we can make fun of Grants Pass more. <laughs> uh, 1994's River Wild, directed by Curtis Hansen. Of the band Hansen. Yeah, Mbop. Mbop. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so Eric, I know you saw it a lot because yes. you and I worked in a movie theater that ran it. Yes. Um Andy, is this the first time watching The River Wild? No. When did I, you see it? I saw it back back then. I don't know if I went to the theater, but probably So rented. you were like twelve in nineteen ninety four? Yeah, that's very sweet. Um, no, I was 17. Um, and I worked at a video store not long after that, maybe a year or so later. Um, so more than likely probably rented it from the video store that I worked video store slash tanning salon that I worked at. Um, so a little background, the they, they filmed quite a bit of this movie on the Wild and Scenic Rogue River in Southern Oregon, outside of Grants Pass, Oregon, where Eric and I are from where we met, we worked at a movie theater. 
1993, late summer, early fall, they were filming it. Some of the people in the movie came in the theater. Um, I believe, yeah, I believe uh, because Grant's Pass still allowed livestock in movie theaters that Kevin Bacon, when he saw goats in the theater, he was like, really? And that's one of the reasons Kevin Bacon and goats is such a big thing because of Grant's Pass. So <laughs> he came You're in. Welcome. A few times. We actually had a pretty good um, uh, series of movies of that summer. That was actually a really good summer for movies. They they came in all the time. Like Davis or Theron came in, I think, twice. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, gosh, I know Kevin Bacon came in the one time. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and John C. Uh, Riley. John C. Riley. He came in twice. Yeah, I, I didn't recognize John C. Riley at the time, unfortunately. So but me, me, I, I don't think Streep never came in, did she? She did not. But I'll tell you, John C. Riley. No, you're right because I didn't recognize him to begin with. So he was standing. So you know, the snack bar session stand is right there by the front doors. The video arcade is off to the left. Right. Well, one of them is, you know, um, and John C. Riley was standing there like just outside the video arcade. And I'm like, who is this shifty looking motherfucker? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like eyeballing him from the, you know, from the, my office upstairs, a little spy window that allows me to look into the lobby. And I'm like, who is that shifty guy? And then I'm like, wait, I recognize that guy. I was like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> and so. Then I then I go downstairs and I'm like, you know, standing there by the ticket taker and I'm kind of like, oh, I know who that shifty motherfucker is. <laughs> it was John C. Riley and he came in a couple times. So, um, yeah, I didn't recognize him right away either. <laughs> uh, so do, do you want me to read the, the plot synopsis from Letterboxd? It's it's very short. Yeah, it's really short. Uh, the River Wild, uh, 1994, directed by Curtis Hansen, 111 minutes. Come on, guys. The vacation is over. While on a family vacation, rafting expert Gale takes on a pair of armed killers while navigating a spectacularly violent river. That's not bad. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, you, Eric, when I asked you about rewatching this, you said you've seen it so many times. Yes. You could play it back in your head. Yeah. Why have you watched this so many times? Well, I mean, we ran it at the movie six when it finally came out. And it was, <clears throat> I originally put it in theater two. So, you know, we had the two large theaters and then which were theaters three and four. Right. Uh, auditoriums three and four. Then on the periphery, you know, we had some smaller theaters. I mean, not, you know, not the mat, not the traditional matchbox size, but they were they were just, you know, smaller by about, I don't know, 75 seats, maybe 100. Um, yeah. So I put it in theater two and we did so well with that. I actually had to move it to the larger theater, like in between shows. I had to like s- screw around the you know, the um the showtimes a little bit, uh, like cleaning the theater and all that. So we did really well with it. And it was it was a crowd pleaser. I was always in there, you know, kind of watching it. You know, obviously, since it was made locally, being a screenwriter, you know, you are going to watch every single detail, because especially if you're familiar with the area the way we were, it's like, OK, I know where that's at. You know, I kind of know what time of day they may have shot this. So, um, yeah, so I had I had seen it, you know, a ton, just observing it as a screenwriter and a filmmaker. And of course, you know, as it was really busy. It did really well for us. So I'm always kind of was gauging the audience reaction. It was, it was fun. It was fun to have, it was fun to sort of be in the town where it all came together and then see the finished product and the audience reaction to it. And it um, was just kind of cool to be part of that to a certain extent. Yeah, it was. I remember it was a lot of fun when they were making it. There was a lot of excitement. 
Um, cause you know, it's, it's a small town. Yeah. They, there's a special lane just for the goats and the oxen. Um, <laughs> uh, but, so Thomas usually does the, the street bingo. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite things. Thomas thinks nobody likes it, but I'm going to go through it. This may be the furthest from bingo we will have this entire season. Oh. Uh, does anybody sing during the movie? Does somebody play the piano? No one plays the piano. Is she like... a divorcee? Mm, nope. No, the marriage is getting on the close. Road. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a therapist? Nope. No. Air, airplane travel? Nope. No. A celebratory cake or dessert? Wait, there is airplane travel. Oh, they fly in on the uh, the twin <laughs> engine, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We got one. Yeah. Uh, does a character have cancer? No. Is there no. a food critic? No. <laughs> Is there fridge food? There's no. There's no fridge. Mouth noises? Yes, probably. Um, I think she I... may do some bird calls or something like that. <laughs> a hospital scene? Nope. Yeah. Is there drug use? Nope. A car crash? Nope. Is it an adaptation? Nope. Is there a pee test? Nope. <laughs> a wig? That's Kevin Bacon's own hair. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. Though. I actually don't think anyone was wearing a wig. A uh, dream sequence. No. Dancing. No. A makeover. <laughs> oh, a letter written or read. I'm gonna I'm gonna say David Strathairn, uh, Mark and I love you on the, the rocks. Oh, okay. oh yeah, is, there you go. Is there any Meryl Boob? No. There's well I mean she does she's skinny dips. She skinny dips, but it's all it's yeah, all covered up. It's very tasteful. Whew. Wow. So Eric, you're a screenwriter, and you know wow. that the script by Dennis Cohen, uh he ran into what what's her husband's name donald gummer mm-hmm. gummer yeah. and um that's how the script got to street this is like the um the clint eastwood movie every which way but lose where you run into somebody <laughs> they pass on a script streep really liked it uh this is streep um a good 13 years after into the night which was her last kind of thriller movie which she had a really bad experience on she was in a different part of her career where she was like being in comedies like death becomes her she devil. Uh, she was loosening up quite a bit. And this was right after Terminator two. So women power, strong women characters were in vogue. Girl boss. Yeah. So I think, you know, for her at this point, I mean, she had, I, she, what's interesting is that, you know, most actors, when you get typecasted, it's considered to be a bad thing, right? Cause you can't break out yeah. of roles. But this was a, an actress who got typecasted in Oscar roles. And so, but it's still, it was, ended up being bad. I mean, you would think that's a great thing because you're only getting quality material. But at the same time, you're not getting offered the roles that are really juicy at the time, that are box office hits. Um, you're, you know, if you have back end as part of your deal, you're probably mm-hmm. going to get more on River Wild, a successful thriller as opposed then, you know, to something like Silkwood, right? So, um, yeah. so this was, yeah, so where she was trying to step out of that, um, only looking at Dangerous Liaisons types roles. So, yeah, she does Death Becomes Her, which is a really good movie, by the way. Um, really hilarious that she does River Wild. Um, and so, yeah, it's um, it was a, a really unique period, I think, for her, where she was really trying to step more into the more commercial you know, not the mainstream Oscar film, but the mainstream, you know, popcorn movie. Um, yeah, we we have tapped into a little bit of the early 80s stuff and then some of the 
2000 stuff. But uh, this era where she was trying to break free from Meryl Streep in quotation marks right. and the kind of movie you expect is, is really pretty fascinating. I mean, she also did, um, what was the Carrie Fisher movie? Postcards, Postcards from the Postcards Edge. Postcards from the Edge, yeah. Yeah, which is as far away from Sophie's Choice as you could get. Um, but it still but it still has that Oscar feel to it, like it should have been nominated for a lot of Oscars. I mean, with this people eh. behind it, what it's about. I mean, it's about eh. Carrie Fisher. Eh. You know, I mean, it's still, it's still in that heartburn kind of you know it's also thing. it's also a comedy where she sings two songs to end the movie <laughs> yeah which is so. the best part of the movie uh so the the script obviously went through some rewrites in order to attract people like kevin bacon uh david strathairn curtis hansen i believe was the second person on board after streep uh it came together really quick as a screenwriter eric what are your thoughts on the screenplay to river wild you know, when this first, um, when I first read about this in the trades, um, it immediately piqued my interest because, I mean, you and I, you know, again, grew up in Southern Oregon. We grew up very familiar with the Rogue River where they said they were going to shoot. And of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, how many people literally, I mean, get killed on the Rogue River every, every year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's you know, what I was saying, like, wow, gosh, I hope they have, you know, some real professionals. <laughs> Otherwise, someone's going to die. Um, right. because the thing that, ha that the reason why the rogue river kills so many people is that you get people coming from Colorado, you get people coming from Montana, um, wherever who would consider themselves experienced rafters. And when you look at the rogue river in just your normal guide, it will tell you a majority of the rapids are class three, which, you know, they go up to like class five. So class three, you know, they're going to like, okay, we've done, we've done fours. You know, we've, we've been maybe done a five, you know, we we're very familiar with class threes. The mm -hmm. problem with the Rogue River is that it's not the rapids themselves. It's what's under the water. And the thing is, is that the river is so deep and there are so many giant boulders down below. And the undercurrent is so damn strong that if you get knocked out of the raft and if you go underwater, that current keeps pushing you down. And before you realize it, you are wedged under a boulder and you can't get out. So that's so it's not the rapids themselves, it's the undercurrent, and it is the everything that's below, and it is dangerous. So people will fall out, hit a rock, or get wedged under a rock. Um, mm -hmm. So making a movie about rafting immediately, you know, sort of sort of gets my interest. Um, the screenplay itself, pretty straightforward thriller. It's a heist movie. Um, I, I feel like they kind of borrow um, the heist from Getaway. Because they're robbing a racetrack. Because I think here it's the, is it the horse track? Or no, it's the um, it's the, uh, it's the auction. Yeah, it's the livestock auction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's the livestock auction. So to me, I immediately got a like got a, a getaway vibe from it. Like, okay, these guys are robbing someplace that you wouldn't expect to get robbed. Um, and then um, it's also kind of a, an, an interesting idea. Like we're going to you know, raft our way because no one's going to be looking for us there. So it's kind of smart. It's kind of a smart story to begin with. Um, then you turn it into this thriller with, you know, this woman who's very experienced and she apparently had a bad experience with a class five. You know, she's more the outdoorsy type. Um, the husband is definitely not. He's more of a business guy, you know. He's an architect. Yeah, you know, and. He does drawing. Yeah, he's, he's got his stupid drawings. Why are you always drawing, Dad? <laughs> so I mean, so it's, I think it's a very smart screenplay. It takes audience. It does what you 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 should do with these kind of movies. 
it takes audiences to a place they really haven't been before. Um, as far as, you know, cause there's not a lot of movies that's done about, done about rafting. I mean, you know, we, the rogue river has, you know, had a number of films shot on it. Most notably, I think rooster Cogburn, uh, yes. with John Wayne was shot on the rogue river. Um, uh-huh. and then there is a 1980 movie with Robert Urich, um, which it was just a, every, it seemed like every single year after football on CBS, on KTVL channel 10, they would show this at least <laughs> once a year. Uh, Killing at Hell's Gate, 1981 with Robert Urich. And it's basically a riff on Deliverance, but without the rape. Um, (laughs) uh, But, you know, so, you know, it was it it was cool. I mean, it was smart. You don't see a lot of movies about rafting. um, Mm -hmm. And it uh, I I just think it it did everything that a thriller script should do. um, Be unique and interesting and take the audience to a world they haven't really been to before. And before we go on, the, the the entire thing was not filmed on the Rogue River. There was no. parts, uh, most importantly, on the Kootenai, I think for the Big Rapids and the Flathead River of the Middle Fork, and then a little bit on the Colorado River. Um, and you could really see it when they first get on the river, the mountains in the background touch the sky. You're like, that's Montana. And then later on, it's those uh, brown, shrubby Southern Oregon mountains. You're like, that's Southern Oregon. But... <laughs> So um, you've been to Southern Oregon, Andy. Yes, and Montana. Uh, but you've never been on the Rogue River. No, you haven't taken me. And now I'm not sure I want to go because I don't want to get pinned under a rock. So I, I have a few anecdotes about the Rogue River. Um, I've seen One of it. which when we went on the, uh, I went on the Wild Scenic River with my dad once. And it was like a four or five day trip uh, to the coast. And um, on Devil's Ladder, which I think is in the River Wild. Yes. which is a curved rapid and it, it has like steps almost. It looks like, it looks like square steps. Um, my dad fell out of his kayak and he almost drowned. And I was in the raft where one of the, the big burly dudes, cause I was like a young scrawny dude, uh, <laughs> pulled him in. Um, and his, he, he almost got sucked under so much that mm-hmm. his life jacket was pulled halfway up his arms. <laughs> like it was sucking him down and the life jacket was going in the other direction. Um, so that's one memory I have of the Rogue River. Um, and then the other one on a different trip, um, also with my dad, it might've been the same trip. Um, we are camping with a group of people. You have to get permits to go on the wild and scenic. So it was like uh, a work trip for my dad, a bunch of people that worked where he worked at the time. And there was a trail to a lodge up the way. And everybody kind of walked up there, you know, the older people, they got some drinks and whatnot. Um, And then my dad and I left early. And on the way back, he said, let's go up the hill. And then I'm going to pretend I'm a bear. I'm going to make a really loud growly noise. And then you shake the, shake the branches. (laughs) So the people that were also on our trip, they're walking by on the trail below. And my dad goes, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like shaking the branches and they're like running. They're like terrified and, and we get back and there was one lady I remember, she probably worked in administrative and she looked at us like, why did they come back after us? (laughs) But everybody else was like, they were so terrified that we felt bad and didn't um, admit that it was us. And then the next day, uh, one of the guys, he like got up and he's all blear eyed and he's like, I didn't get any sleep. I had a dream (laughs) that 
that I was in the tent and I was covered in chicken blood and there was a bear trying to get into my tent. And my dad and I are both sitting there going, shit, that's scary. Or evil. Um, I I, um, almost died canoeing on a, not the road river, but I do have a, a river. I've told you this story. It was in the olden days. Well, it was, uh... <laughs> it was about 20 years ago now. Um, I've been whitewater rafting. I've been canoeing, kayaking. Um, and this was a, a church trip, but I was in college or grad school, actually. And this was on the Spring River in Arkansas. Fourth of July weekend. And one of the few times in my life I've actually camped out, like slept on the ground. Um, we got there, camped out. And then the next day we were going to go canoeing. And so. I was with one other girl and we both felt like we were pretty experienced. And the river was not that nothing like the rogue river. I don't think except for this one part where there was a split and you could go one way and it wasn't that hard or you could go the other way and it was more challenging. We thought we were so badass, So we're like, Mm -hmm. let's go that way. So we do. And probably knowing me and, and her, we were not wearing our life jackets. Boo. So there's that. Always wear your life jacket. I kids. know. Um, yes, always wear your life jacket. Um, and so we we tried to navigate the rapids or whatever and got our boat tumped over. And we lost our oar a piece and then and our life jackets and everything. And I tried to do the thing where you float, you know, get on your back and float and put your to- toes downstream, but it was just so rocky and it was like there were these big boulders in the middle and the water was going on either side. Mm -hmm. So I just started to get sucked under and I was floating, but I was getting sucked under and I was like, this is it. This is how I'm going to go. And I could hear up on the banks, people Blair and Leonard Skinner. And I was like, this is how I'm going to go. And it's going to be to Freebird, and I don't like it. It's not the worst. <laughs> no, way to go. Freebird. It was. I was like, I can't go out like this. And so, miraculously, there was a big burly dude standing on one of those rocks. I reached my arm up, and he pulled me out of the water onto the rock. And I was bleeding and cut. And my friend managed to. She managed to get to the shore. And we had to just climb up the bank and get a ride back. And somebody else had like broken their Whoa. leg. Um, it was horrible. And I haven't, I haven't canoed since then. Um, wow. now I just like to do very serene, peaceful kayak trips. Eric, do you have any terrifying Southern Oregon river stories? Well, it's something you have to do outside. So no. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. No, I do have a, a rafting. Well, I mean, a, a boating story of sorts. We were up at Lake, uh, Bolin in Southern Oregon. This this crystal clear water. Just absolutely crystal clear water up there. And so you can see all the way to the bottom. And I had already seen Friday the 13th, the original. (laughs) And so we're in this boat, you know, and I can see all the way to the bottom. It's probably like, you know, a good 20 feet deep. And there's like all these fallen trees and stuff down there. And I swear to God, everything just looked like a body to me down there. So I was (laughs) not happy about being on the boat. Um, Yeah, so I, yeah, I, yeah, I've never actually, I think the only time I went on the river was with you and your dad. Um, you got, and, but we didn't do any like rapid rapids. We were just doing a lazy float down the river at like your Indy Mary Park, something like that. Oh, yeah, those Uh, are good floats. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
so yeah so i've never done rafting rafting at all um and it's just yeah it's not something that i would really be into <laughs> so and the, i mean there, there are sections i i've gone on the the wild and scenic probably four or five times um and you know there's the hell's canyon obviously which is super cinematic because everything funnels into these huge tall rock walls and the, the river's so narrow um I know they use a lot of it for the River Wild. They use a lot for Rooster Cogburn. Yeah, it just it's just a great looking section for a movie. Uh, do we want to talk about the plot for anybody who's never seen it? It's like Meryl Streep and her architect husband and the the boy from Jurassic Park are going on a river. Uh, her dad is deaf, so the entire family can um, use ASL, which I wrote in my notes becomes Chekhov's middle finger because you know, at some point they're going to communicate to each other. Um, and then um, they meet and Oh, Kevin Bacon, when he is first introduced, they're supposed to be just like regular guys. It turns out they're actually guys who escaped from a robbery. And one of them was shot. He was supposed to show them down the river and he dies. Kevin Bacon with a baseball hat. He's wearing the, the Lollapalooza hat. And the kid's like, wow, you saw Jane's Addiction before they broke up? Oh and I was like, oh, Car Carrie Fisher got $10,000 for writing that piece of shit. <laughs> but Kevin Bacon with a baseball hat, I swear to God, looks like Tom Brady. So oh, much. Yeah. The second he takes off his hat and he has that beautiful Chicken helmet, wide, <laughs> fuzzy. You just want to run your fingers through Kevin Bacon's <laughs> 80s, 90s hair. But when he has a hat, he looked totally like Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this guy is the best villain. And then his hair, you're like, eh, well, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, um, I think that movie is actually cast really well at, at the same time. So David Strathairn, I think, had just come off the firm. Um, and he would be uh, he would be the the pimp in L.A. Confidential a few years later. Chris yes. Hansen's yes. masterpiece. I mean, so it's it's like I mentioned before, it's a really smart movie. Um, I think the script is pretty tight. There's not a lot of fat on this thing. You don't think the waterproof camera is just like why is that even in here? No, it feels like it's building out the world a little bit. Like, uh, you know, just, just, just a little bit. I thought it was, yeah, it, I couldn't remember because I had not seen it. It, it, was, it was like, like it was years, like a, a, a rat maze that ended up in a dead end. Because <laughs> I um, thought something was going to come of that and it never really did. I mean, so you fell for the head fake is what you're telling me. Yeah, but <laughs> it also pads the runtime to where um, I, I don't think, I mean, this, this movie is, is a, classically structured B movie from the 1950s uh which would be 95 to 100 minutes long it'd be black and white there would be a lot more special effects um but it gives you what you want it's a thriller and i i think the older i get some of these movies they just kind of wear out their welcome there's no reason for this movie to be 20 minutes longer mm -hmm. um than it should be and I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, uh, Meryl Streep, when she comes on, I mean, she has to have, she has to have her little speech about her marriage and, and everything. And there has to be additional conflict that is kind of unnecessary. I mean, David Shatharn, after a point, we're going to spoil the movie, uh, outruns the river and gets in front of them. And the dog is still alive. 
it's it's a lot of busy work for what is essentially um, criminals, regular people on a boat and rapids. It like it expands a little too far to give too much to other people. Where I, th- I think it, it could be a lot tighter. So if I were to <clears throat> tweak it um, at all, um, I think I would add a little more marriage strife meaning that their marriage is already on the rocks and yeah. when she's on this river trip it's implied but it's never really built on to where when they come across kevin bacon and john c Riley, that she might be attracted to kevin bacon a little bit mm-hmm. i would have really played that up just a little bit more to because the 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 boy um you know thinks he's cool cooler than his dad Right. But there, there's I would have played that up a little bit more. And when the dad finally does show up, um, Davis or Theron, there's a little bit of that there. But I, I think I would have really dialed into that more. But that would have made it just a little bit darker. <laughs> um, it, it, it does feel like it, it tries to give too much to both Strathairn and Streep, where he has to have his own story. And if it had just focused on Streep and maybe her conflicts and having to hold everything together um, because she, she's the real, the, I mean, she's why we're watching this fucking movie. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, too much is given to Strathairn. And then the ending, it's kind of like they each have to have their little bit to where they're like equal. Um, I don't know. If Strathairn had built, because he's an architect, a giant resort hotel, <laughs> on top of the river before they got there. I'd be like, okay, well, he's using his, he's an architect, so he's building a giant, and then they're going to crash into it, and he's going to have, like, the concierge is going to handcuff Kevin Bacon. That's going to be like, I'm an architect, son. This is what I do. And he's like, wow, Dad, you did all this? But he really, it, it never really, nothing ever really comes of it. No, in fact, if, um, I feel like Strathairn's character probably would have been better served if they had both been from the same town. And it's like, she, you know, he wants to be, he, he kind of rejects that kind of oh, way of living. That's right? good. So he wants to yeah. be cityfied now. He left the small town because this is kind of like where I come from. It's like, I've left that small town. You know, uh, I, I have bigger aspirations. So if that's, so that's why he doesn't want to go back because why would I go back? Like my parents are gone. You know, I said I would never go back, but she wants to go back. And then we see him shed that city, that city, Ah. that city skin for going back to who he used to be. Then that, I think, it really is far more transformative. It actually relates to their marriage and that she's going back to who he was when they first met. So I think I think narratively, that's what I would have done with with it to where, you know, so. okay. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely, I think that that's brilliant. Uh, and that, that would probably would have gotten rid of a lot of my critiques of the movie if they had done that. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's all going to tie in thematically, even if you don't recognize it on the surface, it, it's gotta be those things that you think about later, like, Oh yeah. Right. So, I mean, cause so like, you know, Curtis Hansen. So I was not familiar with Curtis Hansen before this movie, um, at all. So I'm sorry, before uh, Hand That Rocks a Cradle, I was uh, that was the first time that Curtis Hansen sort of um, entered, you know, my periphery because we ran Hand That Rocks a Cradle also in theater, too. Um, but um, <laughs> I didn't know who Curtis Hansen was. 
And then when it, but it made total sense that he got this gig because it's, you know, hand that rocks the cradle did really well. Mm-hmm. It's an A to B thriller. Um, and this kind of falls in that same you know category. But once I, but I, I, after a while I started like reading more about Curtis Hansen and it turns out that he actually wrote on spec, like one of my favorite, um, uh, thrillers, uh, silent partner. Um, with Elliot Gould, with Elliot Gould uh, from and Christopher, Christopher, Christopher Plummer. Lee, Christopher Plummer, Plummer, one of the one of the Christophers, and and just an amazing bad guy role for Christopher Plummer. Um, he is like so skeevy and gross, and it's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, from 1978. So Curtis Hansen actually wrote this on spec, and the plot of it is that um, uh, Elliot Gould. Um, is a board teller at a bank, you know, in, in Canada, I think it's Toronto. Um, and he learns that they're about to be robbed. And so what he does is that he actually hides some of the money from his cash drawer and stashes it. And that way he could just claim that it was part of the money that was robbed. But of course, Christopher mm-hmm. Plummer realizes what, how much money should be there. And of course he wants the rest of the money. So he's harassing Elliot Gould throughout the rest of the movie to get the money. Uh, brilliant, brilliant plot. Um, and yeah, Curtis Hanson wrote it on spec with the idea that he was going to direct it, but the producers were like, yeah, this would be your first directing gig. We love the script, but no. And then they ended up firing the director that they chose, um, because, uh. because there's a scene in there that's pretty violent. Um, and he, uh, he didn't want to do it. He said, no, I'm not doing that. It's like over the top violence. And so, Whoa. and so they fired him. And they brought in another guy that Elliot Gould was kind of okay with, but the guy didn't really like bring it all together. So they had to do a bunch of reshoots and Curtis Hansen ended up directing all these reshoots and all this extra footage. So that's, Ah. so that's how he finally gets in, gets into directing and, and is able to prove himself as a director, but it's a fantastic movie. And And he really made his name off of like uh, a mid-level budget or lower studio thrillers that made money came in on time under budget had um high concept plots but were smartly made and that was kind of his thing up to river wild yeah. prior to la confidential yeah in fact so um the other thing about signing a partner is so i went to see this um 35 millimeter at the hollywood theater here in portland and dan Halstead runs a fantastic you know retro program there and it turns out that curtis hansen still held the rights to the film and he had been offered multiple times for the rights so it could be remade and he refused. He did not want this film to be remade. So I think even though he's passed away, it's still in hit locked up in his estate where it cannot be remade. So like I said, I wasn't really aware of Curtis Hansen. So, um, still had that rocks a cradle and then now river wild. And he, um, he, I think does a really good job here. There's, you could just shoot this movie with a bunch of wide, and medium shots and close ups because the river is going to do a majority of it for you, right? The scenery is going to do a, chunk, a good chunk of it for you. But he actually yeah. does a really good job of getting in there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the camera setups on the rafts and that type of stuff. So he does a fantastic job with it. It is cleverly shot for the most part of hiding, like particularly at the end, they're obviously stunt doubles. I mean, mm. they're not going over those, those falls, which are not on the Rogue River, uh, but Streep and Cast did 90% of their own stunts. Um, Streep almost drowned once in a famous anecdote, but this is Streep's of fire. Andy, what do you think of Streep's performance as a strong heroic woman in this movie? Um, well, no surprise. I thought she was great. 
uh, she was exactly my age, uh, at least when the movie came out. She might have been a little younger when they made it, but um, she was in amazing shape. And I'm like, that is my goal for 2023 <laughs> is to look like that. Um, I need to do more rowing. But um, no, I thought, you know, it was it was interesting to because she hasn't done, I guess, in, as, on the whole, a ton of she's not like an action movie star, you right. know. So to see her in, in a more action type of role was interesting. And she, of course she was, you know, great. Um, and I wondered, you know, like how she, uh, had she done any rowing, rafting, et cetera, you know, before this, I, I'd, I'd love to like learn more about, you know, how she got prepared for the role <coughs> physically as well as, you know, mentally putting herself in that place. Uh, but yeah, I thought she was. Fantastic. Yeah, clearly she trained for it and did a lot of rowing. She did a lot of the rowing on the actual movie. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because in the the beginning, the opening scene, she's in a, a rowboat in like Boston. In Boston, which live. was filmed after the uh, rest of the movie. So and they filmed the. Beginning you know, I took rowing end. lessons last summer, and um, I'd never done that before. It's not easy. They they make it look easy, but that being able to to do that in a single boat um and have the right form mm-hmm. and everything it takes a lot of practice so i was like well she obviously if she never rode before she would have had to practice i know she 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 was legit in that movie mm-hmm. uh she knew what she was doing yeah uh she wasn't faking it um the movie ended up doubling its budget in the box office it was pretty successful i think for um I mean, $45 million for 1994 seems like a kind of a high budget, but that might be a lot of the cast. I don't know, Eric, what do you think? Uh, when you're shooting on location, I mean, you're, you know, you're struggling to make your day. Um, it is, it is, on, it is on water too. Yeah. Is, especially this kind of movie where you're, you know, there's certain things you can't control. Is it raining that day? Um, you know, cause you know, Southern Oregon, I mean, when they were shooting it, I mean, you know, you, you get rain, um, you know, during the summers and stuff, but, um, so, I mean, yeah, when you're shooting on location, the trucks, the generators, where there's no electricity, um, and so to make sure that, you know, your generators are far enough away. Because when we went to set, um, you know, I, I was out, you know, scoping for sets one day. So we were up on the two-lane road well above the river, and that's where all the trucks were. And there were just, like, hundreds and hundreds of feet of cables going down the drop-off, mm-hmm. down to the river below. I mean, so that's that's expensive stuff. Um, so a budget of 45 million, you know, that actually seems about right for an on location like that. Um, you know, it's, it's opening weekend. It only made like 10, 12. It was number one movie, I believe that weekend, but, um, you know, I mean, as far as Streep in the role, I'm trying to think if she really brought anything to it that someone else couldn't have done. I mean, typically, you know, you like to see like, could anybody else have played Ripley in Alien? Right. I mean, is, is, so it's well, I, th- I think the novelty of Streep doing a role like this is part of the appeal, isn't it? It is. I mean, so it was against type. So that's I think I think that is a selling point. Um, so I, I think she's fine. I think she's fine in the role. I mean, I yeah, it's, it's not knocking her role, but it's like if I can envision somebody else in that role, even all these years later, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't picture anyone else playing Ripley all these years later. Um so if I could, so for River Wild, could I picture someone else in that role? Probably a Gene Triplehorn probably would have been fine in that role. Um, in the nineties, um, 
not Sharon Stone because she would have been too young for it, but um, mm-hmm. you know, they're uh, oh gosh, what, uh, what's her name from um, not Glenn Close, but from um, Fatal Attraction. Um, Glenn Close. No, the other one, the wife. <laughs> oh, Ann Archer. Ann Archer. Ann Archer would have been great in that role. Right. I think that the physicality Street brings to it is is pretty impressive compared to the other movies that we have been watching where she's not really uh, a grounded, physical, nature forward character. Right. And, and I think doing all these other streets, I mean, it, it's a fun little facet that she can do it. Um, do I want to see her do it every movie? Yeah. I mean, it, but she, you know, she's playing a mother again. Um, and she has, you know, some emotional scenes with Davis Ruthern, you know, because their marriage is on the rocks and that sort of thing. And I felt like she was really good in, in those. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure why, you know, she was picked other than the script was given to her husband or whatever. And she just really liked and it. And she, yeah. I think she, at that point in her career, if it had been five years earlier, she'd be like, no, I'm I'm doing this highbrow stuff, but at this point it was after. I mean, really, uh, uh, a cry in the dark was the point afterwards. She did She Devil. She started doing like postcards from the edge. She really started to branch out to take different types of roles, and I think River Wild is a piece of that because after um, Still of the Night. She had no interest in in doing a a straight up thriller again, and this is about as straight up a thriller without the Hitchcock references as as Into the Night. Um, but she's more game for it, clearly, and I think it's because the script leaned heavily towards her at that point in her life. She's a mom, she's a wife, um, she's a breadwinner. Her husband probably feels like he doesn't do enough because he's not Meryl Streep. So I think a lot of the script played into where she was, where it might not have five, ten years earlier. Yeah, it's interesting because was, this was a time period um, that, like, you saw a couple people go against type. Like, this is when Nicholas Case started doing action films, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, so it was it was definitely you know, and this is the time that um, Michael Keaton was trying to get out of playing Batman so he could do Quentin Tarantino's movie. Um, so. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that we had this period where all these, you know, Oscar heavy people or drama drama heavy people, people you would think of just specifically for these type of roles, were really pushing to branch out and sort of cash in on some more popcorn mm-hmm. inter- and popcorn entertainment. Uh, Eric, uh, could we take like a, a quick five minute break? Sure. Okay, we'll be right back. Thanks. He's got to pay. Shut up again. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. I'll refresh my eggnog and brandy. Couple and we're back. Oh. Are we back? Uh, Kevin Bacon. At this point in Kevin Bacon's career, he had been a protagonist a lot, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, this is was this kind of a turn, Eric? You're you're more of a bacon head than me. So he actually <laughs> did have cool. a villain role in the eighties, um, where he played a serial killer. <laughs> Um, a lot of people don't know about this movie. It's not a movie that he talks about very much either. Um, because the premise of it is kind of controversial. So Kevin Bacon plays a serial killer that's only killing women that have had abortions. Because his, because, because his mother tried to abort him and it was a failed abortion. 
I, be- I believe. <laughs> oh my God. No, what? this is not a movie. Come a on. Story. That is a true story. <laughs> I'm looking, is, I'm looking, is it is it called, it called? is is it it's just the the character's name it's called wade Rowe. <laughs> uh let me see let me see if i can find it because i saw it on VHS. that sounds horrible <laughs> so and i know it's not a movie that he talks about um very often is it uh, i'm just kidding <laughs> let me <laughs> um so let's see of course he was in friday the 13th that's one of the first films that he never i never actually talks about it it's really kind of annoying um, it's like he's ashamed of it, but like, dude, so many people started in horror films. What's what's your deal? Yeah, um, he's great. He's, um, uh, the, his, his death scene is is totally famous. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me see. What was that movie? So so it's like that after Footloose. God, I can't remember what the name of that movie was. So Whitewater well, Summer, so Whitewater Summer is another one that he did that was sort of under the radar. That's actually a really good movie. Yeah, he made two movies on the river. He needs to do a third one to round it all up. Oh, he's in Diner. I always forget that he was in Diner. That's another thing, too, is that um, uh, Barry Levinson gave a lot of these guys their starts as well. You know, and a lot of these uh, early movies of his. So uh, this is a lot of dead air here. Sorry, I can't find that movie. Oh, yeah. Good thing we're not. Good thing that we're live, or we'd be canceled. <laughs> uh, so Benjamin Bratt is also in this movie as the sexy young paddling ranger who comes upon them uh, after Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley take off their masks, and it turns out they're bad guys. And then they're like, "You're gonna get us to the end of the river." And Bridal's Cove, Cave, whatever the hell it is, Bridal Falls, you're going to take us after that. And she's like, the last time I did it when I was 18, one guy died and the other guy is totally paralyzed. I can't do it. He's like, oh, you're going to do it or I'm going to kill your husband and son. And your dog. And and your dog, (laughs) who gets away and ends up running 20 miles with David. Anyway. Um. Bacon and Riley and Meryl Streep and Joseph Mazzello are floating down the river. And there's a camera, the waterproof camera. Mm. I don't know. The The plot at the end of this movie gets so convoluted unnecessarily to where, you know, as soon as they bring up Bridal's um, Falls and the gauntlet, which she hasn't done since she's 18, you know, that's where they're going to end up. Of course. Oh, yeah. It's like 50, 20 minutes in the movie. It's like, can we just get there a little faster? Yeah. And it's almost like bringing it up so soon um, really made that middle section um, flabby to me. Because you know where they're going as soon as they bring it up. You know there's going to be some sort of uh, chicanery with um, sign language because of her dad. Mm. Um. And they do a good job of Bacon and Streep, I think, as the main two characters, antagonist and protagonist. Like when she's skinny dipping, which was in a, a heated pool, by the way, on the river. <laughs> uh, and Meryl Streep complained that it, was, it wasn't it was hot enough or warm enough. It was probably pretty cold. Um, that their, their interactions where she kind of likes him at first, going to where she finally agrees with David Strathairn that they're bad, is is kind of the turn you're waiting for. But after that turn, it does seem like there's an hour, <laughs> two hours left in the movie <laughs> after it. And that, that's where the movie kind of starts to lose me. Yeah, I agree. Um, there, there when should, they do- there, should, there should be more tension, definitely. As far as like the interplay between Kevin Bacon and Davis to as far as there, there should be that 
you're trying to move into my territory, you know, that type of thing. There should be that, that more of that um, uh, adversity between them where it's just kind of building. And then, you know, when he starts to suspect something's wrong, it should be because, you know, Meryl Streep's just saying, you know, think it's because he's jealous and that type of stuff, which there is a little bit of that. There is, there is. And that, that's, that's some really good conflict and tension in the movie. I thought uh, where Streep is kind of like, she, she kind of likes him like the sun does. It's like, he looks like Tom Brady with a hat on. I mean, <laughs> what's not to like about, cause Kevin Bacon's character is legitimately charming. Uh, you know, he's evil because it's a movie, but, it's Kevin Bacon. You kind of like him, right? Yeah. And I mean, you, you kind of wish that he, he uh, John C. Riley turns out to be the one that you end up kind of feeling bad for. And I know uh, on the set, uh, Riley talked with O'Neill, the writer, and was like wanting to know more about his character. <laughs> and O'Neill, it was like his first script. He was like, he didn't have anything other than what was on the page. Like, no background, no no Michael Mann dossier that's like 300 <laughs> pages long. He was like, uh, like Lenny from Mice and Men. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and John C. Riley was like, yeah, okay. And that's pretty much what you get. I could see that. Uh, but this is a great cast movie. Everybody in it, maybe Justin Mazzello was a kid, but kid actors always suck. Um, but John C. Riley, Davis Rathairn, you got Meryl Streep. Um, yeah. I liked John C. Riley, but I also made a note that he's better in comedy roles, you know. And maybe that I'm just biased because that's what I've seen him do yeah. the most of. Um, but he was. I was glad that he wasn't like a hundred percent bad guy. You know, you you kind of like you said you felt sorry for him or yeah. sort of the. There, there, there was some maybe unexplored tension between he and Kevin Bacon and um, the guy they brought along that was supposed to guide them down the river that died. Um, there was some tension there that went maybe unexplored. And maybe if you got rid of the whole waterproof camera bullshit that had nothing to do with the story, um, that could have led to more tension to make the ending a little more tragic. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many things you could do with John C. Riley's character. Um yeah, you because know, it pretty much is just you know Lenny. Um, I mean, you you know you could have gone a little darker and made him a little grabby and created some tension and fear with him and the little boy if he really wanted to, you know, um, create some really dark moments. But that's not what this movie is aiming for at all. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just supposed to be you know an e-ticket ride at Disneyland. Does anybody even remember what the e-ticket ride? Why why the e-ticket was so? Because they give you they give you a dose yeah. of uh, ecstasy, right? <laughs> I think I think I'm the only I'm like one of the only people that remembers that originally at Disneyland there was the A ticket, the B ticket, and the E ticket, and the A's and the B's got you like on the teacups and stuff like that. The E ticket is what got you on into the haunted house and stuff like got you into the cool stuff. Pirates of the Caribbean was an E ticket ride, right? Space Mountain was an okay. E ticket ride, and it's like nobody remembers that anymore, and it just makes me feel old and sad. I've never been to Disneyland. I've only been to Disney World, so and I don't recall. Uh, I, I I I vaguely remember that Disneyland was a lot different than when I went there. It was a lot different. It was better. It was cheaper. I like your idea though that you get a little little tab of ecstasy before you get on the ride. That sounds good. Yeah, make it all right. And there there's also part of Bacon and Riley being whooping it up thieves who had just made a huge score 
you never really feel that. There's just the tension of escape. Uh, there's never any release of what guys who would actually do that. I mean, it, it's like a huge release. It's like winning a World Cup. Afterwards, there's going to have to be some release. And Eric, I think you talking about getting grabby, whether it's the kid or Streep or hell, even Strathairn. I don't know. It's 20, <laughs> 2022. You'd be grabbing on all three of them. Right. Um, and and there is a little bit of that that's missing. It just jumps into tension. There's never any, I can't believe we did that. And we have like uh, a quarter million dollars in this bag. Well, and I also think, thinking you're going to raft away from a crime is just kind of a dumb getaway plan, if you ask me. It is. And the dude who wrote it, Dennis O'Neill, uh, was on a, a fly fishing trip on a river in Montana. And that's where he originally got the idea. And then the producer of the movie had also made a movie in the seventies or eighties that took place on a river and he wanted it too. And then when Streep got it from her husband, it was just like one of those. They're like, let's go to the river. It was like one of those stories that could not happen now. You (laughs) know, it's really literally like the dude who wrote every which way, but loose meeting a production person from El Paso in line at the airport. In 1970s, um, it, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. No, in fact, didn't that happen? Like David Ayer, like David Ayer was uh, working construction, or like, he's an electrician, and he was working at Wesley Strick's house. And they started talking, and he got Wesley Strick to read one of his screenplays, if I remember correctly. No, uh, yeah, that's, see, yeah, I think that, yeah, that stuff just does not. Even I think the the anymore. the people who have made it. And the gatekeeper mentality has gotten so locked down that 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 stuff seems very unlikely to happen, which with social media, it kind of makes sense because everybody thinks that they have the next. So uh, the gauntlet, which is what we've been told about the whole movie, it's what it leads up to. We've been expecting it. Uh, David Shatharn has been running a hundred mile ultra Ironman race over the hills with his dog to scrawl some hands ASL signals and then have an old mining wire. I don't know what it was. He sent um, smoke signals too. At the end yes. of the gauntlet. So he he's very optimistic that they're going to get through it, which what a great husband. What do we think of the final sequence going through the gauntlet? Andy? Um, I mean, it was exciting. Like the, you know, cause you're like, and I, can't, I couldn't remember exactly how it ended. So I was like, I don't remember. I mean, I knew that like Meryl Streep and the kid would be okay, but I just couldn't remember everything. Um, so, you know, it was, there was, it was very tense. Uh-huh. I thought the contraption, I thought I was like, mm, in real life, would that really work? Or, you know, yeah. the timing would have to be just right. It, it the, the whole thing about him and the cable and then the pulling of it and tipping the raft. Yeah. It's one of those things where, Eric, if you've you you own a house, it's like you do projects and you think when you flip a switch or do something, it's gonna <laughs> turn out just right. And then you realize you have to go to Home Depot seventeen more times because it right. doesn't. And, and that that's what I think is going to happen to... with David Shatheron's little cable yeah. scheme. Because he's um, an architect, he's not an engineer. Exactly. So maybe he should have been. Maybe. Yeah, he never really suffers any reversals, actually, in his quest to rescue his family. Because he's he's right about Bacon being a shit. Yeah. And he's the one that shows up, even though she thinks... So he's... Yeah, it kind of does weigh toward him. 
a little more than street than it yeah, should. Because if you, so the, one of the features of these kinds of films is that the best laid plans that like even the audience is supposed to agree like, yeah, that's a great idea. It needs to go sideways somehow. Something needs to go wrong. And then then your character has to scramble at some point. So with Davis to Theron in that final stretch, as we're, you know, we're cruising through the third act, there's not really not a lot that goes wrong for him because the raft does tip over. I mean, the only thing that really goes wrong is that um, Kevin Bacon eventually gets a hold of the gun that had fallen, you know, in, into the water. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's not. So there's really no reversals of best laid plan. So it is missing that that aspect. Um, to really uh, yeah. to really create the tension, because and that's the thing is this: once the audience buys into your plan, and then it goes wrong, they also feel it at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I think the actual, I mean, there's a lot of pasting and seams to the final sequence on the river, but I think it is legitimately exciting, and so much of it you can tell it's actually Shreep and the actors in the boat. Obviously, when they're going over waterfalls, it's not them. But it is so well edited that it is it, it kind of pays off because the rest of the movie is this kind of like sodden to me because it takes so long to get there. But once it gets there, it's like you sit up a little straighter in your seat. It's oh, all right. This is, this is a pretty exciting river rafting sequence. And there's like two violent guys and a mom and a son. And then, you know, it, it pays off. I think it's I think Hanson does a good like, job with with the whole entire climax. It's kind of like when you are and the river is like peaceful and flowing, and you're like, oh, this, this isn't that scary. This isn't so bad. And then you and then you hit the rapids, and it's like, whoa, okay, this is what everybody was talking about. Well, are you, you just so you're saying the movie is like a trip down the river? It is. Holy shit, Andy, you just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> So no that that final sequence might I be think cold medicine. I think that, that final sequence works really well, and I think one of my favorite parts is when they've gone through like the class fours, and you know Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley are kind of like, oh my god, we made it. And she's like, no 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 no. <laughs> that was just the first one. Like, that was nothing. <laughs> that was nothing. Um, and I ha- and I do have to wonder, you know, thinking about reshoots and rewrites and all that type of stuff, because when you watch the wide shots where it's clear it's not them on the raft, but they're going through the rapids. I remember watching it and um, whoever is actually rowing the boat and handling the oars, there's one point where that person loses control and the raft starts to drift mm-hmm. in a very, in a sideways. You never want to go down sideways. Mm-hmm. And so it, it actually, she's trying to bring the ascent around can't, and they do go down sideways. And so I, I wondered you know, did they go back and do any rewrites based on how that rafting went for some of those scenes? Right. Huh. So do you go back and rewrite like, hey, that was great. The thing went down sideways. Luckily, everyone lived. Now let's work that into the script and let you figure, you know, our, our inserts and our close ups and that type of stuff. Because there are a few times when they hit some uh, some of those where it's, it's clear, like this, whoever was was uh, in control of the boat was really struggling and that they really were doing some serious rafting there. And so I do wonder if, you know they had, did have to go back and rewrite part of it just to match the action that had already been shot. Yeah. So when they're shooting it, they had river experts on various wraps, uh, jet skis, whatever, just outside of camera range. Um, you had obviously expert people <clears throat> as a stunt people. Um, there are some great shots 
there's this one, I think I actually told you though, that's a great shot where uh, the camera, obviously on a helicopter, because it's pre-drone goes up the valley to all these rapids. And then it comes to the raft that Meryl Streep's on. Mm -hmm. And as, as they're coming from a waterfall um, and a lot of those shots, they would, they would take Streep and the cast in a boat and it would be anchored. And then they would release the anchor. So they would float towards the camera and then they would grab them before they went over the other fall. But intense, intense logistics to make (laughs) it look like most of it was done by the actors in it because you really can't hide it too much. Um, But for pre CGI, I think they do a really fantastic job, particularly in the uh, end sequence of, of making it somewhat believable. There, there's some obvious CGI and when they go over that, that big waterfall and they, you know, even Meryl Streep is screaming, but a little CGI in there, but it's, it works uh, because you have, because they uh, uh, obfuscate a lot of it with the uh, spray, you know, yeah. with, with the spray of the water. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, o- overall, I mean, that sequence is actually, it's, it's cinema worthy. And, and it's one of those things that you probably enjoy more on a big screen than you would a little screen. Yeah. And then you get to the the big <coughs> climax where it's everybody is is uh, the the boat flips over. John C. Riley and Kevin Bacon are floating, and then David Strathairn's there, and there's a gun, and then uh, Kevin Bacon in the famous shot where he stands up holding the gun. They had to shoot that a hundred times, right? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. If, if so, if I had an overall complaint or you know a critique, is that it feels like the movie gets big and then gets very small, gets big and then gets very small, not intimate, but small. Um, and so it feels like it's a little uneven that way. And I, and I understand we're building towards, you know, the big, you know, the big crescendo, you know, for the big, the big falls and all that. But um, it feels like it just could have been a bigger movie overall, especially for where you're shooting and that type of thing. Yeah. You know, um, because all the stuff with them, even though it's you know, the stuff where they're by the campfire and everything, and I just feel like it could have just felt a little bit bigger, and then keep getting bigger. Um, so, it, so sometimes it crosses over into like a USA Network Sunday kind of movie <laughs> thriller. Um, but overall, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. I think. Yeah, uh, Kevin Bacon gets shot after Meryl Streep grabs the gun. Um, John C. Riley is taken away, and then Streep just wants to see her daughter again. She's making out with Davis Rathern in the sun sunset <laughs> on the river. Yep, on the river, and the marriage is the saved. And the marriage literally grows through the gauntlet. Whoa! Uh, uh, that's you're welcome. Too uh, bad the, the title was already taken by Clint Eastwood's <laughs> The Gauntlet. Uh, uh, I, I still have nightmares about the helicopter motorcycle chase in the gauntlet where they had to use every inch of footage that they used for a five minute sequence, which goes on for like 15 minutes. Uh, anyway, uh, do we have Google uh, reviews? We do. What about your quiz? Oh, do you want to do a quiz? Do you want to do a river, river wild <laughs> quiz? Let's do a quiz. Okay, we we've not. I don't think we've ever done a quiz no. before. This is no, this is brand new. This this could be a a real game changer that gets us at least five fewer listeners. <laughs> okay, River Wild Quiz, Eric and Andy. 
True or false? Screenwriter and novelist Dennis O'Neill is the same Dennis O'Neill that wrote and edited for Marvel and DC Comics, most notably for me, as the writer of the seminal 80s version of The Question with Dennis Cowan and Rick Magar. True or false? I have no idea. I'm going to say false. True? (laughs) It's false. It's a totally different guy with the same name. Out of 50-50 change. Okay. Which members or family members of the crew of the River Wild would one day get married? A, Streep's daughter and Strathairn's son. B, Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick's son and director Curtis Hansen's daughter. C, John C. Riley and the niece of Streep's husband, Don Gummer, who was a production assistant on set. That one. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that one. The answer is A, Grace Gummer and Tay Strathairn married in 2019. That's kind of what? a sweet, isn't That's it? That's cute. Uh, uh, all right. Okay. Uh, in which movie do Meryl Streep and Curtis Hansen reunite, but on screen playing a real-life husband and wife? A, The Post. B, Rendition. C, Music of the Heart. D, Adaptation. Or E, The Ant Bully. Why is this so many you know, I'm going to say uh, the violin movie directed by Wes Craven. Music of the Heart, music Andy? About music of the Heart. Oh, I like that movie. What do you think? Um, but I don't think it's that. I'm going to say rendition. My God, we just watched it. It's adaptation. She plays... Well, I don't know who... She play, he plays... I, I mentioned that on the... Anyway. Does he play, does he play her, her husband? Yeah, he, play, he plays... Uh, what's, what's the name of the author of adaptation? Or the Orchid Thief? Oh... Susan Orlean. Susan Orlean. He played. But uh, like, he's not memorable. Her actual husband is not memorable. So well, to me. a movie nerd like me, it's like, oh, that's Curtis <laughs> Hansen. <clears throat> okay, uh, I, you may not know this, but there is a reboot, remake, remake, <laughs> a remake, reboot, uh, River Wild universe movie being made called The River Wild. Um, it's coming next year. Um. Did you know that? No, it's called the River Wild. No. So, um, from which two no longer with us teen television shows are the leads and the new River Wild from, and are also a real life couple? Is it A. Vampire Diaries and Supernatural? B. Gossip Girl and the OC? C. Legends of Tomorrow and Glee? D. Nowhere Man, filmed in Portland, Oregon, starring Bruce Greenwood. We forever love Nowhere Man on The Good, The Pod, and The Ugly, and we don't care who he's paired with because Bruce, Bruce Greenwood is the best. Which one? That's just one. What's that? I'm gonna Isn't s- that just one show? I'm going to say Legends of Tomorrow and the... Uh... Glee? Glee, yeah. What do Me you think? Me too. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it is B, Leighton Meester of Gossip Girl and Adam Brody of The O.C. are wow. starring in... A remake of The, of the River Wild. Wild. And um, Tyrion Killam from Saturday Night Live plays the other guy. And it's more of a three friends, a brother and a sister. One of them turns out to be not what they're supposed to be. Anyway, I have another question about this remake, reboot, whatever it's called. So in the remake, reboot, whatever of the River Wild universe movie coming next year, also called the River Wild, which collapsed former member of the Soviet Union was used to approximate the modern dystopia of Grants Pass, Oregon? Is it A, Hungary, B, Romania, or C, Chernobyl? (laughs) 
I'm going for Chernobyl. Rom- Romania. <laughs> what? There. Romania. I don't know. It's A, Hungary. Hungary. Hungary? How much have you had to Hungary. I'm not doing very well at this course. Okay. Um, in the, uh, the famous location, and also where Eric and I are from, Grants Pass, Oregon, the city slogan is, it's the climate. What specifically is the it referring to? A, Blind George's popcorn. Delicious. B, meth cooking. C, Drekka Noir cologne. <laughs> D, the smell of forest burning. Or E, fear, poverty, and depression. Drakkar Noir. Eric? It's definitely fear, poverty, and depression. <laughs> I had A, Blind George's popcorn. <laughs> That's all I choose to remember. Wait, is that is, did, did y'all wear Drakkar when you is that what your that's what, that's what Eric used to wear every night. Nice. Yeah, he was he was a manager of the movie six and he was like drowned in it. Ladies. No, obsession. <laughs> obsession was what I was wearing all the time. <laughs> Loved obsession. Nice. Okay, I have one more question. True or false? The portion of the Rogue River where Streep was skinny dipping now has a sign that reads, no skinny dipping unless you want to get shot and lose all the money you stole. Remember, life vests help you float. They don't stop bullets. True or false? False. Eric? I'm going to say it's probably true because it was probably like in somebody's backyard. I made it up. I have no idea. God I knew you it. did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got one. <laughs> Good job. I put, put her in like a wading <laughs> pond that's behind somebody's backyard. Um. Oh, Google review. Yeah, Wait, that those, those are my. That's, that's that our, was fun. Our River Wild quiz. Oh, um. Also, I am Meryl Streep's choker necklace in this. You didn't ask me, but oh yeah, yeah. It was very nineties. Yeah, I loved it. Um, so all the Google reviews are either four or five stars for this. So the only one that I found that kind of made me laugh, um, is from Mitchell Margaret a year ago. Love this film. Love Merle Streep. Merle, like Merle Haggard. (laughs) Thrilling visuals, heart in the mouth throughout, great music and scenery. XX. Uh, yeah, Merle. Merle. That's People it? like the dog. Uh, That's it. That's all you got. Oh, wait. No, this one's great. This is a four-star review from Chon Cherry a year ago. It is okay. A little bit boring at the beginning. That's their review. Very insightful, Chon. Pretty good. Yep. Concise. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, I have a three and a half star from Letterboxd from Ben. David Strathairn and Benjamin Bratt in their little shorts. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. Did they, did he not see a cry in the dark? Because those were some little shorts. Sam Neill's shorts, right? Davis right there was rocking the like pleated khakis and yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, so have we forgotten anything for this episode? What what else do we do on these Meryl Streeps <laughs> that we could be forgetting? Oh, what about uh, Margaret Thatcher? Oh yeah, what is the ghost of Margaret Thatcher? Eric, you I don't know if you listened to this season, but um The Iron Lady was our first movie. And since then we have asked the ghost of Margaret Thatcher what she thinks of every movie we've covered. Mm-hmm. She's been a wonderful guest. Um I I let me get on the Ouija board here and 
Hello. A river wild. A river wild or otherwise in an inflatable raft? I refuse to have anything to do with water. In the late 60s, Dennis talked me into trying water sports, and I swore never again. All right, Margaret. That's, uh, yeah, that's Jack, Jack, who is not on this episode. Um, every week is like the Margaret Thatcher thing. That's like my favorite thing we've ever done on the so podcast. <laughs> and I kind of wish we had an entire episode just dedicated to Margaret Thatcher's thoughts. Um, Jack, if you're listening, you're you editing, so you are. Uh, you might get your wish. <laughs> Uh, Eric, this was a lot of fun. I'm sorry we didn't have uh, our friend from Southern Oregon to talk about being on the set, um, but we made up for it. Yeah, yes, you, you know, were a wonderful uh, guest. You know, um, yeah, it's a bummer because uh, I would like to have, you know, um, gotten some insight. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, it was this great thing that the town got to be involved with. You know, it's it's only happened, I think, a few times, you know, mm-hmm. for Southern Oregon. Um and not on this scale. I don't think there's really been a, a movie of this scale um, shot in Southern Oregon. So, uh, I mean, you know, John Wayne and Rusa Cogburn, of course. But, um, you know. In our era, our era, it's definitely the biggest. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, Oregon, you know, was kind of popular in the 70s, uh, early 80s for some stuff. Um, I know Unsolved Mysteries shot there a few times. Um, Ooh. But, uh, you know, it's. It, I, I feel like overall the film is a success. It accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do. It delivers on the promise of the premise. Um, Meryl Streep, you know, being sort of, you know, reverse cast for it. Um, you know, not someone you would expect to do this kind of movie. It, it works, um, you know, and it actually sort of, you know, got me to look into Curtis Hanson a lot more. And I got to have more respect for him as just opposed to being like, you know, a studio hired hack. I mean, this guy really had some, some writing talent, you know, and some directing talent. And we saw it in LA confidential after this, um, which he would win an Oscar with, with Brian Hegelin yeah. for adap- adapting James Elroy. Yeah. Elroy's novel. So, um, you know, it, it was sort of great to, um, find somebody new, you know, that I didn't know a lot about. Um, yeah, overall it was a good time. And again, it was, it's, it's something that I always talk about, you know, as far as like the cast coming into the theaters. Um, you know, it's one of those, one of those great stories to tell your kids. and Yeah, and they're like, who's Meryl Streep? <laughs> David Streep, what? She's going to have to do her Marvel movie, and then I can say what her character name is. Yes! Oh, dude, she sees to do a Marvel movie, and then the River Wild anecdotes, they oh, kind Lord. of, they hit hard. <laughs> like, Meryl, no. if you're listening. Don't do it, Meryl. You got to play... Don't who does she got to play? She got to play the red, the red witch's she mom or something like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Captain America. Captain, Captain America's Ameri- mom. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't know. This is Rogers. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyway, Eric, thank you for talking with us about this. It's been a lot of fun. Ah, uh, you bet. It's a good time. It's always fun showing up and uh, talking with you guys about movies, you know, and yeah, I could go on for hours about this stuff. Yeah, this is a great piece of the Meryl Street puzzle. Uh, I'm really getting to know her quite a bit from jumping around to all these different points. It's like putting a puzzle together. Um, our social media, they are all in the show notes. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, 
Parlor, Truth, Mastodon, Bang It. Uh, what else did I make up? Um, Rabbit Tits. <laughs> That's another one. It's just not big right now, but it will be by 2023. That's right. Uh, thanks to Weird AI featuring Sam Peckinpah for a theme song. Uh, and we will be back with the regular fools next week. Yep. yep. Thanks can, again, Eric. You bet. You can catch my podcast, Blood and Popcorn. Um, yes. I My most recent episode, I interview the lead actress, Sarah Lind, of the um, horror film uh, Wounded Fawn, which is just the critics are absolutely loving and eating up. So it's, uh, it's and a I, I, I still haven't gotten to see it yet. Not yet. You missed when am I out. See it? You missed out. I had, I had I was like doing important things, man. I'm sure you were. Did it t- did it taste good? <laughs> we'll set that uh, up. We'll set that up. All right. And uh, you asked me a long time ago to do a podcast with you about um, uh, action set pieces, and you've never followed up on it. So it's on my Ooh. list. It's on my list. All right. He put you on blast. Yeah. Now you have to do it. Yeah. Now you have to do it. Yeah. That, I, I'm I'm totally down for it. And then, then it's a Jack CGI blood podcast, right? Uh, no, it, it's just we're gonna do a squib season. A squib season. Just, That's what it is. A squib season. As little CGI blood as possible. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thanks. Yep. It's been fun. Thanks everybody listening. Uh, happy 2023. And um, yeah. yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.